BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome to This League Uncut. In the world of 24-hour NBA news, this news you lose. Chris Haynes, it's go time. Mark Stein, it's showtime. Boom shakalaka. This League Uncut is underway and on fire. This should be a good one. Welcome, friends, back again with another edition of This League Uncut. We are recording on the eve of the 2022-23 NBA Finals and honored to have a finals participant with us. Not exactly an on-the-court participant, but a key figure in helping the Denver Nuggets reach the NBA Finals for the first time in their NBA history. It is their GM, General Manager, Calvin Booth, who I once covered as a player many, many years ago. Calvin, welcome to the show. Chris and I excited to have you here and congrats on an NBA finals appearance. You've had several days to think about it, but I'm guessing it still has to be surreal here on some level. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be on as well. And yes, of course, it's uh, still settling in and I think it'll be surreal for a while. So I'm sure you've seen the stat. This is Pat Riley's 19th NBA finals as a player, coach, or executive. How are you going to neutralize Pat Riley in the GM matchup in this uh, in this series? <laughs> well, I think that one's uh, I think Pat wins that one going away. So I'm not really going to try to fight that battle. But hopefully, the guys before can get it done. I uh, see. B and Stein introducing you, talking about he used to cover you. It, it was there was a lot of minis. There was a lot of minis he threw out there. Talking about many, 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 many years ago, man. When you when you look back. 
at your career. Does it seem like it was that long ago? Oh, man, I think he exaggerated a little bit, man. He tried to act like, you know, it was like back in like when, um, you know, World Be Free and those guys. <laughs> it's because I feel that old. I wasn't really referring to you. <laughs> now, see, but I want to look. First of all, I think congratulations, like Stein said, man, what you've done in the first year of being the lead executive for the Denver Nuggets, you did a lot. And I want to break down some of the moves you made. But when Tim Conley left to take the Timberwolves job, what was the objective? What was the directive from ownership? What did they tell you that they wanted you to do? I'm talking about not overall, but in this first year coming up. Like, what was the objective? Well, uh, I don't, Chris, man, I don't, honestly, I don't think there was time for that. Like, you know, everything was kind of abrupt and uh, the transition was very quick and I kind of took the bull by the proverbial horns. Uh, you know, Josh is busy managing the arsenal and, you know, dealing with the Rams and, you know, the many, many sports franchises they have. And obviously it drew his attention uh, big time when, you know, Tim's transition was happening. But like, I, you know, this first, first week or so, I just started reaching out to players and started to like, you know, prepare for the draft and uh, preparing as if, you know, like, the job was going to be mine, but there was no, I don't think there was any determination at that point. I think there was eventually a press conference where Josh gave me a vote of confidence or whatever, but it was just basically to work. And I, you know, um, from our experience of playing in the playoffs that previous year, it's just a bunch of conclusions that I had drawn by watching that series that um, what we need to do going forward. And, and that's how I acted. So when you, when you talk about you went just straight to work, was there anxiety? from your standpoint, as far as just not knowing, like, okay, what is going to be my role in the short term? Uh, how 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 were you able to process that and still do your job? No, I mean, I wasn't thinking about that. It was too much going on to think about that. I was just worried about doing a job to the best of my ability and showing that I could handle uh, the responsibilities of the job. So uh, no real anxiety on my end. I mean, I've been playing. It's not, not like I have to hit a corner three late in the game with the shot shot clock running down or whatever it's just it's just like you know organizing getting pre prepping for the draft and and uh pitching your ideas of ownership alvin you know chris knows this because whenever your name comes up i love to bring up the story that i was there on press row for what i think is the highlight of your playing career when you made the layup to send the dallas mavericks you clinched a game five win in utah 2001 the mavs at that point had not won a playoff series for more than a decade. And uh, in those days, five, five game first round series, teams didn't win a deciding game in Utah. Mavs were down huge going into the fourth quarter. I always call that shot the $34 million layup because you signed that big deal with Seattle in the following off season. Compare that feeling of what it felt like to make such a big basket and, and such a memorable basket in Mavs history to being in the stands and watching your team clinch a spot in the NBA finals as the guy who runs the front office. Um, I think they're comparable in that, the, the, you know, was on the forefront of, of a new era, so to speak. Um, I know Mark had just taken over Dallas in the, the previous, previous year or two and, he had made a lot of innovations and tried to make it really exciting around there to 
to actually see some of that pay off and get a first playoff series win and eventually lead to them getting in the finals a few years later and then eventually winning a championship like that. That was very exciting. And also, I feel like the same here. I felt like, you know, playing an integral role and trying to be a steward of this team and putting a team together that can make the finals, potentially win the finals. And then uh, what's on the horizon, if, if, you know, once the season's over is an exciting thought. I want to bring up the offseason, last offseason. As you said, you were really busy offseason. Get draft. Then it's the summer. First priority is signing, getting um, Joker to that extension. And after that, there are some pieces that you brought to the table that are very, very effective pieces this season. But take me through the Joker process. What was that process like? Did you have to convince him at all? Uh, you know, because there is a new direction going on here with the Denver Nuggets. And you guys fell short prior were there any convincing or was it just an easy process? You went out there, you got him. Like, can you just walk me through the Joker process real quick? I think Joker, Joker's a very patient person. I think, um, you know, from my end, I did feel that there needed to be some reassurances that we we're going to be heading in the right direction. Um, you know, with Joker in a circle. Um, I, I felt like, you know, meeting with his brothers out here, talking to Excel, talking to him. Um, I think, was important and and I you know obviously getting the deal completed because anytime you can get a guy of that magnitude to sign on the dotted line, um, it's a big deal. Especially you being you know again you're a few months in um, as the head exec at that point, and then from there, how do you build around Joker now? Because you're trying to change the trajectory of the team, you're trying to get them to the point where you guys are now. And then you made some moves. You acquired Contavious Caldwell Pope from Washington, traded away Will Barton, who's been there for years. You brought on Bruce Brown, and really, he took it to another level. We didn't see, especially on the offensive end, we didn't see this in years prior. Just tell me, like, once you got Joker, what was in your mind as far as, okay, what we need to do to bring the right talent? on the cast to make sure we get to a level that we haven't been before. How did you do that? Yeah. I mean, I'm just big into studying past patterns of champions and um, the era I grew up in and played in, you know, the, the I've watched the Bulls teams and the Lakers teams uh, and played against them plenty of times. So uh, the prevailing thought was always like to joke and say that uh Joker's just a walking triangle offense. So just try to get that kind of personnel around him. Uh, guys that have positional size, they're smart, hopefully at least average defensively, best case, um, a little bit above the line defensively. And, you know, I mean, you have a basically a six, seven-foot point guard that uh, can play anywhere on the court. And uh, so just getting versatile guys to, to go around that guy that can make shots and guard, I thought was important. You obviously played with Dirk, so there have been, you know, sometimes Dirk gets mentioned in in – but I, I think it's more like Jokic. More often you hear that he's, you know, a seven foot, 250 plus pound Larry Bird from your seat. Who who is he most like when we try to compare him to something we've seen in the past? Yeah, I think it's some kind of matchup of Bird, Dirk, and Duncan. I mean, obviously that's doesn't have the the rim protection and stuff that Duncan have, but like I see a lot of Duncan like qualities in him. CB, when you look at 
overall with the different nuggets have you know people the, the narrative has been that everybody's been sleeping on the nuggets and you guys have just been winning all throughout the year mike Malone has some really you know interesting comments through the course of the playoffs uh about res- respecting this team and but so you're not in the trenches but i want to know just from your seat did you feel like that as well did you feel like the nuggets were an afterthought to everybody else were we uh dismissing or disrespecting or is it a combination of other factors like what what are your thoughts behind um the narrative of the nuggets being slept on no i think it's a two-sided coin man i think like on one side of it it's like you have to earn respect and you have to win that first title you have to make it to the point we're at right now i feel like you know golden state did that at one point in time right you know people probably wondered they had a 28-game winning streak in the regular season, and then people still weren't sure whether they were good enough. And the next thing you know, they won the title. I'm like, oh, man, they actually won the title. And then, obviously, everybody knows what happened after that. So I think uh, getting here and earning the respect by our actions and by uh, getting some results is, is part of the process. But I do think, like, you know, uh, honestly, like, you know, I, I think coaches are very colorful, and he likes to, like, you know, say Mark, uh, say say things that are that will catch, grab attention. You know, <laughs> so I, I do think there's a little bit of that, but but the one thing I will support him on is is that like when you look at what our team did throughout the year, and you compare it to the lack of you know accolades, so to speak, that our team got, it does seem disproportionately out of whack. You know, like all right, is Joker um, if he's not the MVP, right? If he's a second team All NBA guy and he's not the MVP then shouldn't Aaron Gordon or Jamal or somebody made an all-star game? Like, should KCP or Aaron got more push for all defense? Should our coach got a coach of the year? Like, it is a little interesting that we actually got no recognition through the awards process for the kind of season we have, which is, I mean, obviously Joker made uh, second-team All-NBA and was up there in the MVP voting. But, like, outside of that, pretty much nothing. And you think about it, usually the protocol, not protocol, but it's, it's like it's an established protocol over the years that if a team has the number one seed going to the break, typically they get multiple all-star players from the same team in that game. And it was it was just Joker. You know, there was a case made was, is it Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray? So I guess you felt that way as well at that time. Yeah, definitely. I felt like, both of those guys deserved, and obviously we weren't going to get three All-Stars, but I would have been thrilled if either one of those guys would have gotten into the game. And I know Aaron was playing out of his mind. I thought up until that point it was comparable or maybe even better than what Andrew Wiggins had done the year before, and he made the All-Star game. Um, so, you know, yeah, obviously have Nuggets colored glasses on in that one. It's, it's always – there's so many good players in the league. It was such a, a great year of performances that, that these awards – Things are hard, but like, but the kind I always thought with great team success, uh, you know, the the individual accolades came after that, and didn't necessarily happen this year for our team, which is fine. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. So I'll be honest, I was a pretty staunch Nuggets advocate for the bulk of the year. I thought the fact that you guys had continuity, so many teams in the West did not. I thought that was a real advantage for you. But then there was the 7-10 and 10 finish, and it just it wasn't. You guys were leading the, the West forever. It was clear you were going to be the number one seed. But I guess in the regular season, the Nuggets didn't run through the proverbial tape, maybe as convincingly as it could have been. How concerned were you during that seven and 10 finish to the regular season that, that something had gone off track? Honestly, I probably would have been more concerned if uh, we looked like the 2006 Spurs or something like that. And we were 18. Oh, cause that hadn't been who we had been. We had been a team that would, would ebb and flow. And sometimes we play well. And sometimes we didn't play well. And we obviously got bored at the end of the season and weren't playing the, our highest level basketball it, but I didn't, I never really doubted that when it came time to step up in the playoffs that we will, we would do that. So, uh, I mean, Contavious had a rough end of the season, but I think historically, if you look at his numbers, he always does that. And then he'll back, he'll bounce back and start making shots and in, then in, in the playoffs. So I, I think, uh, I wasn't as concerned as, uh, as everybody else was and then outside of our locker room and organization. I mean, there was so much talk in the second half of the season that, these playoffs are going to be a referendum on the Joker, his two MVPs, even though the MVP is a regular season award. It's like, why are we even 
going there, but he seems completely unbothered by this supposed pressure that these playoffs carried. What do you see? I mean, how much is he even listening to us? Well, I think he typically tries to block all of it out, but this year was just kind of like unavoidable, especially after a regular season game in Philly. And, you know, um, and then the racing came into it. And um, I think it was just, I think it was a little bit of a distraction for our team and probably a little bit, you know, I took a little bit of a, a positive energy and mojo away from our team, just having to deal with that whole narrative. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. See, CB, when you um look at the landscape of the league, how teams are built, if you look at the Nuggets, it's a pretty well-rounded team from, from top to bottom. You know, you guys are pretty sturdy there. You know, it, it used to be, well, I would say for a period there, teams would try to go after two superstars, sometimes three. And on occasion, we had one where, where you had four. But what do, what do you what do you think the league is headed towards? You know, that with the new CBA that's coming in, it's like it's going to make it harder to have that many uh, type of players on the team. But what what is the ideal when you talk to other executives out there, or even just from your perspective? What's the ideal way to build a team? Is it even efficient? Is it even worth it to go after multiple superstars at one time? What's your what's your take? I just think uh, it's kind of a cop-out, but I don't think there's one singular answer. It depends on where the team is at and their development arc. It depends on who your superstar is. I mean, in our case, we have we have stars. We have, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is like, you know, the best player in this class for the longest time. He's had a lot of injuries and stuff, and we, we paid him a max contract, and I felt like he's played up to that this year. Um, I mean, obviously, you have Jamal and Joker, um, I think the thing is, is just that our best players are easy to play with and they have well-rounded games. So it's it's easy to like identify guys that would fit with them. And there's a lot of kind of guys that can't fit with them. So um, I think that's why our team seems like it's so uh, seamless in that way. Um, the credit to Joker, Jamal, I mean, the job Malone does. Everybody in that starting five, which I think is the best starting five in basketball. Mm. I can't resist asking this because I'm just curious, like how often in a staff meeting will you guys all just look at each other and say, can you believe that Jokic slipped all the way to number 41 in the draft? Like, obviously that's not new news. Obviously his career arc has been well chronicled at this point, but I just, whenever I hear that number, I still can't get over it. 41st pick in the draft to two-time MVP. And Stein, hold on. Before CB answered that, I saw on, on um, social media a few days ago that when Joker was actually selected, it was it was during commercial break. So you, you didn't really get to see Joker. Harris Dave call. But go ahead, CB. Go ahead. No, I mean, I think for me, it's all going back to the Hoop Summit. And uh, I was there amongst a lot of executives, and uh, he was doing all the same stuff he's doing now. And I felt like it was kind of like a funny. It was kind of like a joke. Oh, man, like, look, oh, he's kind of doing it or whatever. And um, I always remember, like, uh, I felt like I think Capella was in that hoop summit. And I know coming into that, he was supposed to be like a lottery pick. And, uh, you know, his stock dropped a little bit because of, uh, you know, what happened at hoop summit. But, like, looking back on it, it's like really no shame in being outplayed by Nikola Jokic, right? Like, uh, but nobody, 
You know, well, obviously the, the guys in Denver valued him and they got him to stay in the draft. But like to to your point, Mark, nobody like said, "Oh man, I believe in this coast to coast layup," or you know, him throwing this crazy pass or his three point shot. So much so that I think he's a first rounder, right? You know, uh, very few people uh, had that kind of uh, foresight. Give me your initial thoughts now that he's in the league and now that you're there with the Nuggets. Your initial thought on his ceiling. At this time, because I we, we knew he was solid, but to see him become this player, I I don't I couldn't definitely can't say I saw it. It's kind of interesting, man, because I you know came from Minnesota and thought the world of Andrew Wiggins and Carl Towns upside. Thought those guys were really talented. We're going to do great things in the league. But like having said that, watching one open gym with Joker, I was like, man, he's he's better than those guys. One and open I, gym. That was, yeah, that was. It was pretty impactful to like think that because I I didn't before watch him in person those couple of days I wouldn't have thought that like right you know because definitely come from the wolves and having the you know the Timberwolves like glasses on uh, you know thinking those guys are going to be the eventual you know duo that would do great things in the Western Conference and seeing this guy that was in Denver that was like man this guy's better than both those guys and uh, I, I think that was just starting to at the beginning of uh, people recognizing how good Joker was. You've been at this for a while now. What point in your playing career did you think, you know what, when I'm done, I want to go the front office route. This is this is being part of building teams is what I want to do. I mean I, I became interested. I think, you know, as a player, when you when you the 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 process is when you come out of college, you start watching college a lot the first year, maybe even to the second year, because you still know a lot of guys. But then you get to that point in your career where you watch NBA basketball, or you're playing it, or you're practicing, and you kind of get away from it. And so having said that, around uh, the 2008 draft, uh, you know, I think I was playing in um, 2007-8, I was actually in um, Washington, I believe. So, no, or I could have been, no, Philly. I was in Philly. So I, I remember uh, watching that draft and, and uh, spent a lot of time scouting and preparing. It was a it was a great draft to start off with, man. There's so many great players in that draft. Um, I, I wonder if I would have been as inter- interested in scouting if I'd come in a, in a barren draft, right? But, like, you know, you're watching Derrick Rose and Beasley and Westbrook and Mayo and Kevin Love and all these guys. And, you know, I just – I thought it was a, a very fascinating thing to try to figure out who would translate and who wouldn't. When you think about this matchup now with the Miami Heat, and Everybody, I can say everybody, but for the most part, you guys are considered the favorites. Mm-hmm. And but also you've been you had a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. And you're going into this series against the Heat. What is the concern? Well, I mean, the Miami Heat and their culture and what they built, what they created, and the, the players they have over there, the culture they have over there, and the belief they have in themselves. Uh, you have to respect that, right? If you don't have the proper amount of respect for that, then you're probably in a bad way. I think we're contractually obligated to bring up rest versus rust or else they're going to take away our credentials because obviously you guys, it's been, it will have been nine full days without a playoff game by the time game one tips off Thursday night. What's been the approach in-house for you guys in dealing with such a, such an extended break? I don't think the coaches, and players done a fantastic job of like uh, picking the spots when to work and when to take breaks, and um, you know trying to do the best you can to, to 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 stay ready and 
and rested headed into tomorrow's game. What's your game watching routine? How hard is it for you to just having played? How hard is it for you to just sit there and watch? It's not hard at all. I think like, you know, when the game, when the series get tight and stuff like that, it becomes a lot harder. I like, I remember being in the bubble and, uh, you know, the playoffs started and we were playing Utah and the first couple, uh, you know, the first couple of games or so, I'm like, oh man, this is about to be the playoffs. It's like, no, no, no energy or tension or anything in here. And then by the time it was game seven, there might as well have been like a hundred thousand people in that, in that empty, empty uh, arena. Uh, in Orlando. So I think, you know, when it, when the series gets tighter and, you know, the end of games and four quarters, especially if the, 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 the closer you come to approaching the end of the season series or conclusion of it. And that's when the, the most tension and pressure comes. But other than that, I think it's pretty, it's just, I'd try to enjoy, enjoy the game and watch it. And my last thing, see, I want to ask you about your own personal uh, goals. We talked about, your team and how they, some of them may feel slighted um, by the lack of awards recognition. But I, I brought up what you did in that short t- time frame this past year for a reason. I think you definitely should be up there when you're talking about executive of the year awards. I, I know you don't, you know, probably don't want to get too much into it, but man, just looking at everything you've done, you made a trade, you made a trade as well too. You know, the Nuggets had some adversity as well. But everything you've done, you've righted the ship and you put pieces together and they fit. And I don't I don't think the Nuggets have gotten a lot of recognition from that standpoint. So is that something like when you're talking about your peers in the game, it's for the general manager, the president of basketball operations in this league, the personnel. Do you look at that and, and say, like, man, I want to be mentioned amongst the top, especially this year? Is that something that you gravitate towards? I mean, you see some of the guys that have been around for a long time, you know, and, and had a lot of success. And I think, you know, following their path and having having a, a career and having some stability and, and having your the organization proof on your under your watch is much more important to me than than an award. If I'm correct, I don't think Sam Presti's ever won that award. Like, you know, he's definitely been an executive of the year before, right? And so I don't I don't put a lot of stock in that. In that uh, particular award, um, you know, I'll, I'll give a lot to have Sam's career at this point. You know, I think he's had a great career in the business. And so um, if he hasn't had the award, who, who am I to win the award, right? You know, well, that's the way I kind of look at it. Well, I, I'm not going to say that's a cop out, but I, I get your point. You, you definitely deserve you definitely deserve to get your recognition, brother. And I wanted to make sure we, you know, I'm glad you came on, agreed to come on, because I wanted to definitely highlight what you've done behind the scenes and and putting together a roster that, you know, this is championship building right here. And I, I know it's not somebody's at my door, but I, I know I know the, the the road is not done. You still got to get the Miami Heat coming up. So, uh, but uh, CB, I appreciate you taking the time, brother. Best of luck um, to you and the rest of the way. And uh, I, I'll see you down there uh, at some point during the finals. I'll definitely see you in Miami on South Beach. You, you oh, yeah, <laughs> sounds good, man. I'll see you down there. <laughs> Yes, sir. Our thanks to Calvin Booth for joining us on the eve of the NBA Finals. That will do it for this edition of This League Uncut. Chris and I back soon with more on the finals, more on the coaching carousel, more on everything else happening around this league. As always, please, until next time, rate, review, 
and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Talk soon, everybody. And that'll do it for us. See you next time. This League Uncut is an iHeartRadio production. Boom shakalaka! Chris Haynes and Mark Stein! Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.